start off uh, in, I'm going to tell you, I'll, I'll read you a story from, uh, from 1 Samuel. Samuel was a prophet in the Old Testament, and, uh, and he was born and committed by his mother to, to work under Eli, a prophet, which, whom you may have heard of. Get this thing back in my ear. Who you may have heard of in the Old Testament. And so this is kind of the beginning story of Samuel's journey as a, as a prophet for God. So if you have your Bibles, you can open with me to 1 Samuel chapter 3. Um, otherwise, I encourage you to do something that I think is a really healthy practice that in, in reading Scripture is to identify with a character in the story. Rather than just kind of hearing the story and like put yourself in the shoes of this person. In this case, there are three characters. There's there's God, there's the older prophet, Eli, and then there's the young student, Samuel. And so I'm going to encourage you to imagine as though you were Samuel in hearing the story and what's taking place. So first Samuel chapter three, I'm going to read the first ten verses. The boy Samuel ministered uh, before the Lord under Eli in those days and the word of the and the Lord of the. The word of the Lord was rare. Uh, There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of the Lord had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. So he went back and lay down again. The Lord called Samuel and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lay down. Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel a third time and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood there, calling as he had the other times. Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. As you imagine yourself in Samuel's shoes, never having heard the Lord before, And, you know, I don't know where you are or what your spiritual journey is like, but, you know, you may be a kind of a new thing to imagine hearing what the Lord is like when he speaks. You know, is it this audible voice? And and we can do a sermon on that sometimes and look at the different ways that the Lord speaks. But one of the specific things that I want you to hear in this is that obviously, as according to this text, the Lord was speaking to Samuel and hearing his name very clearly. But what Eli gives Samuel to do is to say before the Lord, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Imagine putting yourself in Samuel's shoes, standing before the God of all creation and be able to be humble enough to say, speak. I'm listening and I'm your servant. Ready to do whatever the Lord, the God of all creation, said to you. I mean, I I truly believe that Samuel, being a young man and not yet having heard the Lord, was ready and eager and willing to do whatever. He literally considered himself a servant of God, ready to do whatever God would have him do. 
And my question for us this morning is, are you able to move your heart to that same place that Samuel was when he said, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. I don't know about you, but I find myself oftentimes in a place where I'm so distracted by other things going on that I may think that I'm ready to hear God's voice. But am I ready to do whatever God may invite me to do in that moment? Drop whatever needed to be dropped. Do whatever needed to be done. And if you're like me, then I think this will be a healthy reflection as we kind of look into and try to discover what some of the things are that would distract us. But specifically, what would God be calling us to? You see, in in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is is speaking and he begins teaching about the kingdom of God. And as he teaches about the kingdom of God, there are several different stories that he tells. But we're going to look at at two at, this, at, at verses 44 and 45 this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can read with, with me. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen. But Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in, joy, in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of God is like a merchant looking for looking for pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything that he had and bought it. What's the kingdom of God like for you and for me? You see, I want to look at something this morning and I'm a very visual person. And if you know me, you know that I kind of have an analogy for everything. It's just just the way God kind of wired my brain. And I don't really understand anything until I have kind of a picture or analogy to go with it. I think it wears Steve Steve out, but, you know, it is what you get. So this morning we're going to talk about this. What is this? Who can tell me what this is? It's a pipe. So we're going to call this plumbing theology. And it's interesting because as simple as this little illustration is it's amazing to me um, since I was introduced to plumbing theology uh, a handful of years ago at how many different ways something as simple as a pipe and plumbing can function as a lens to read scripture so here's how part of how this works or one way that plumbing theology works right whatever God gives you and puts into who you are right let's just say that he he shows you mercy What should come out on the other end? Mercy. He shows you compassion. What should come out on the other end? Compassion, right? He is a God of love and mercy and compassion. And so what should come out of who we are in our lives? Right? The problem is, is that we too often have one of these on the end of our pipe. This cap and the cap represents our own heart and our own will. And see, anywhere that we have a a cap fitting on to the end of what God ultimately desires and what he pours in, then it creates a problem. So if God is showing us mercy and in our marriage, we're not able to have mercy be the expression of who we are, then something starts to get built up. You follow me? Simple plumbing theology, right? It creates a problem when things don't flow through, but things stop. So 
when he, when whatever relationship and whatever situation you're in, who, what, whoever God has been and whatever God is showing and whatever attribute God is distributing and and giving as grace in your life. But we are not extending that same grace. Then it creates a problem. So what are the things within our heart and in our will that clog the flow of God having his way and flowing through our lives and the expression of who he is into our life becomes the expression of who he is through our lives and ultimately transforms us into expressing his very same characteristics in nature. Fair? Pretty simple, right? Well, as we look at plumbing theology, so imagine with me, if you're familiar with, with John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches, right? So in this case, we could say, Jesus is saying, I'm the fire hydrant and you're a pipe. And if you abide in me and stay connected and fitted together, then out of you will flow water and it will produce, be used to produce a fruit. But if you don't abide in me, then you miss out on being used to produce fruit. So I first got introduced to, uh, to plumbing when I was a senior in college. I had a friend who, was spend, who, who made an effort to invest into me in that season. It was during the summer of my senior year, and, uh, and he owned a, re, a remodeling company. And so he was remodeling a home in Athens, and, uh, and he invited me to, uh, to put in a sprinkler system. Um, now, I didn't know much of anything about plumbing, but plumbing, good, good thing about plumbing is very logical. I'm a fairly logical person. He said, don't worry about it. I'll teach you everything you need to know. It's really simple. And we'll, I'll, I'll draw everything out, and I just need you to do the work, and I'll explain to you, and you'll get the hang of it. And I need you to put this sprinkler system in. I said, okay, I'll do it. And so... Here I am in Athens in the middle of the summer, and I don't know if you're if you've ever spent any time with a shovel in your hand in in North Georgia, specifically Northeast Georgia. But it's not the easiest digging in the world. I mean, I I, I actually despise it. And um, and not only is the digging hard because the ground is like clay, but in Northeast Georgia, there's a lot of granite and a lot of rock. And so he, he rented me this ditch witch. And if you know anything about a ditch witch, you know, you can get the, you can rent the ditch witches that you can sit in like a tractor and, you know, this big thing, dig a trench, you know, in front of you. But that's not what he rented for me, of course. So, you know, he rented me the kind of ditch witch that you have to hold on to with handles and walk behind. And, of course, the yard that I was putting this sprinkler system in was full of these giant rocks. And every time I hit a rock, you know, it's like shaking me, you know, in a crazy way. And then I have to get the shovel out. And, and after about 20 minutes, I'm exhausted. And I spent hours behind this stupid machine that I've never dared to go behind again ever since then with blisters on my hands for the next several weeks because of this apparatus. And... The reality of what I learned about plumbing is that it's really simple. Water comes in from a source, fills the pipe and pressurizes the pipe, and it goes out to, you know, a sprinkler head. And then when the timing mechanism says for it to pop up and release water, it releases water. Pretty simple, right? Friends, God's made our role and our plan and his pretty simple for who we are called to be and what he wants to do through us. We're like a pipe that he wants to fill with his goodness and his spirit to flow through us to produce a result. 
And as we see in John chapter 15, Jesus says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What can this pipe do apart from being used in a plumbing situation? It's pretty dumb. It's about like me. There's not much that this thing can do. But when God chooses to use me and when I'm doing my part to fit in and to seek his kingdom, then through me and through you can flow rivers of living water. And that's God's plan. I think you can get you can write a dissertation for a Ph.D. on ecclesiology to study the church using the simple tool of a of a pipe and a lens by which to read the New Testament. It's amazing how much is spoken to in a number of different ways from this one simple little illustration of what God wants to do. And yet for so many of us, we find ourselves stuck with a cap onto the end of our lives. So let me ask you to see whether or not you you get plumbing theology. Would you rather drink water that was fit onto a source and came flowing through a pipe, or would you rather me put water into this pipe, fill it up, and leave it outside for two months and ask you to drink it? Which would you rather have? The water flowing through the pipe, right? All right, so you get plumbing theology. It's really simple. Things are meant to pass through, not stop. And every time that we have something pour into this, but that doesn't come out the other side it starts to build up and create more pressure. So all the things that God wants to do and pour into your life that aren't flowing out as a result of authentic reality of Jesus, being Jesus in your life, start to build up and create pressure. So where you have this happening and building up and creating pressure in your marriage, per se, I mean, this can be like a 10-foot story of water filling this thing and It could be almost impossible to hold my hand under the bottom of this pipe to hold back a thousand gallons of water that had been built up. How many of us, just by looking at this simple illustration, can discover pressure in our lives simply because something in our heart has not allowed the freedom of who God wants to be through us? To be the reality of what we're experiencing and what we're practicing as he's calling us to be authentically like himself. Plumbing theology. Really simple, right? Well, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is continuing to, to talk. This is a little bit earlier than the 13, but he's, but he's, talk, he's, he's teaching and he's teaching saying, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. You're probably familiar with the passage. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. But he says... Instead, he says, the father knows what you need, but first seek the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. Jesus says, first and foremost, above anything else, seek the kingdom. Now, it's really important to understand what seeking could be like. You all know what seeking is like. So imagine if you've been preparing and saving up for five years to go on a family vacation to Fill in the blank. Whatever your spot is that you want to go to on the planet. Bags are packed. Tickets are bought. You're about to head to the airport. And it's time to get in the car. And you say, honey, where are the keys? What happens next is what seeking is like. Okay? 
Everybody drops whatever they have, and it's time to start looking for the keys because this incredible thing that we've been waiting for and looking for and storing up for is about to take place, but it can't take place until we find the keys. So what happens now is that we've got to drop everything or anything else that was a distraction. We've got to find these keys. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be taken care of. You see, we have to understand that it's, he did not ask us or command us to find the kingdom. He said, seek the kingdom. The promise is, is that the kingdom will be found. That's his part. Seek the kingdom and his righteousness and everything else will be given to you. Right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he will make your path straight. Right? It's something that we're to do and it's followed by something that he promises will be done when we do this. Right? Jeremiah 29 verse 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your heart. So it's not a matter of whether or not we will find the kingdom. It's a matter of whether or not we will truly seek the kingdom with our heart. And just as I said, the cap is a reflection of a heart. And where we're not seeing the kingdom, where we're not finding the kingdom, it oftentimes is an issue with something going on in our heart. So let me ask you, have you heard of, uh, there's, a, there's a guy in New Mexico that is a millionaire that put out this challenge. His name is Forrest Finn. He lives in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And he put he was a uh, i think a he collected a lot of precious items and jewelry and paintings and stuff from all over the world but he put some of his treasures in a box and hid it somewhere in the wilderness and then he wrote a poem with nine clues in it to encourage and challenge people to go find this treasure a worth over 2 million dollars gold rubies diamonds sapphires and all sorts of priceless things he's put in this box and left a riddle out there for the public to read to try to find. Now, as I was kind of thinking about this and trying to figure out a way to explain treasure, um, you know, things that we do treasure, that my mind remembered that and I started to kind of research it. I went back and I read the, the poem. And then I looked at the map right outside of Santa Fe. And I kid you not, we don't have time to do it right now, but I kid you not, if we walk through the different poem and I showed you a few different things on the map that just in a few minutes of kind of looking at this, I was like, man, I think I've discovered where this treasure is. Like I have this idea by looking at these nine different clues and just happening upon this specific little area in New Mexico in the mountains that I have a, I feel like a good guess of where this thing is. Where this treasure could be, at least where to go begin looking. I mean, it says, you know, where the cold waters stop. And then I just happened upon looking at the map and seeing this Aqua Fria Creek. And it's like, okay, where Aqua Fria Creek then starts is where the cold waters stop. And that makes sense. It's like a riddle. And so then, you know, under the House of Brown and you look right there and there's this on the Google satellite. And there's this brown roofed house. And I'm like. I've got an idea where to begin looking for this treasure. 
Imagine that I did know where that treasure is. Would you be interested in helping me buy a plane ticket for 10% commission to say, hey, I want you to go get the treasure because I could use a couple hundred thousand dollars, right? If I told you that there's a treasure in Paulding County and here are nine different clues, who wants to go find it? Do you think anybody would be interested in maybe doing it as a fun family activity this afternoon? You see... Friends, whatever, let's just imagine that you had a treasure buried in your backyard. And I told you there's two million dollars buried in your backyard. What would you do? You'd be digging up, you'd rent a tractor and you'd be digging up your backyard. Like we're going to find that treasure because here's some, here's the reality is that it's something that we value. And the reason that I see that we miss out on finding the kingdom is that we don't realize the great value that the kingdom has when we seek for it, because Jesus says you'll actually find it. It's not just some hidden thing that you have to read a riddle and expect to hope you, you know, one in a billion people might be able to find. It is something that is promised to each and every one of us. And it's more priceless than any treasure that we could have here on earth. And yet, friends, we miss out on seeking it like we would our keys if we're going on a vacation. We miss out on the good things that God has in store. A great kind of hero of mine in the faith. I was uh, watching something Dallas Willard uh, was teaching on this last week, and uh, and this is part of where this piece comes from. He says seeking is a fun is fundamental because it is what we are seeking that shows who we are. What you're seeking is what shows who we are, who you are. Our wants constitute the most important thing about our lives. What we seek is what steers our lives into whoever we are going to be. So let me ask you. What are you seeking for? What's the treasure that you hold dear in your heart? Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What is it that you treasure? What is it that you spend your days seeking for? What is it that you find yourself acting, acting upon? Because whatever that is, is something that functions as a cap in your life and most of our lives. And there's something better that God has in store for each and every one of us. And it's the pursuit of his kingdom. It's the pursuit of the only thing that has real treasure. It's the pursuit of being able to step in and to know the reality of the goodness of God. It's the ability to connect into, in John 15, to abide in Christ, that he can flow through us and produce a fruit. He says, it is to my Father's glory that you produce a fruit and show the world that you are my disciples. But do we believe this and feast on it and desire to look for the kingdom everywhere we go. I'm not saying that every person in here has to become a pastor and quit their job and go into full-time ministry. I'm saying wherever you are, that is your full-time ministry. Are you seeking the kingdom of God and where you are? Because most of us are missing that. We're too distracted with the things that get piled up and the things that become weight and that get our attention to say, well, this is happening again and I'm not being treated right. And so I'm not going to show this person mercy. I can't show this person compassion. It doesn't matter that that's what's been done to me. But we're missing out on the fruit of the kingdom because it prohibits the spirit of God to flow in us 
and through our lives. Friends, there's nothing like the Spirit of God flowing through you. The Spirit of living waters flowing through you and God using you, if, even if it's just as a pipe, to fit into His kingdom, to flow through you into being a blessing to somebody else. There's something about you that becomes alive as it happens. I wish it happened all the time in my life, but when it does happen... I walk away from a time of God using me to counsel someone as a pastor or give a a godly perspective that helps redirect and put them on a path that God would have them to be. And I feel alive, not because I did something. I was just a pipe. He's done everything, but his spirit moves in our lives and wants to use each and every one of us. Paul says that we are now agents of reconciliation in God's kingdom. That he wants to use us and flow through us to minister to each other's lives. It's not about some skill set that you have. It's about him doing a work through you that only he can do. And when that happens, you get to taste and you get to feel something happen in you that is life-giving. But Jesus says, the kingdom of God is here. And it will be found, but are you seeking? We started this series in, uh, with a passage from, from 2 Peter, chapter 1. And I'm going to read just, just a couple verses here. Uh, verses 2, 3, and 4. 2 Peter 1. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. His divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him. Who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises. So that through them you may be able to participate in the divine nature. And escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. You and I, everything has been done. Every price has been paid. That we can participate in the divine nature. With God in this life. That the flow can happen. And his spirit use us to do whatever it is he wants to do through us in our lives. Are we ready to participate in that divine nature? Are we ready to bring our hearts to a place to be like Samuel and said, you are Lord and I'm your servant. Speak. Because I'm ready to submit and commit and obey anything that comes out of your mouth. You see, each, God has a plan for each and every one of our lives. Before we were created, he had good works for you and I to participate with him in. He has a divine appointment in relationships that you have outside of this place. Are you going into those relationships and are you waking up every day, going to the Lord and saying, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. I'm going to live my life to seek your kingdom first and foremost about above everything else. And just because up until now, I may not have recognized your kingdom as the most priceless thing on the planet. I want to choose to believe that your word is true and it's worth me selling everything for to go and buy, go and find. You see, there's this promise that Jesus has for us to encounter him, to grow in a knowledge of him and to be able to participate with him in this divine nature. And he goes on in that passage. We're not going to look at it now, but he says, so for this very reason, now there are more things that you can do. Add to your faith, 
goodness and goodness, knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and kindness and love. So in all these things, add each of these daily in increasing abundance, because when you do this, then your life, your spiritual life will not be ineffective and unproductive for the kingdom. And friends, my concern is, and I think that I can relate to this, that too often I get distracted. My heart gets set on other things. And I find that I'm being a closed off cap rather than a faucet just flowing with the kingdom. So I'm going to ask you a question and I'm going to pause for a moment. And I'm going to ask you to, to pray and ask God this. This is the question. What has, what has a hold of your heart? That places a cap over God's flow in your life. What things do you value? What things do you treasure that could in some way function as a cap over your heart? I want you to ask God that. Lord, show me what has a hold in my heart that places a cap over your flow in my life. You say you may wonder whether or not true transformation is, is really a possible thing. And I'm going to read a quote to you from, from Dallas Willard. He says, it is possible if we are willing to do one thing, and that is to rearrange our lives around the things that Jesus practiced in order to receive life and power from the Father. So you ask the question, what did Jesus practice? Jesus lived his life listening to God. He lived, he lived a humble life. He was a servant. He healed people. He freed people from things they were in bondage to. He preached the good news. But I think you can take that list of different things of who Jesus was and what Jesus did and put them all under the umbrella of Jesus lived to seek the kingdom of his father every day of his life. It was the primary thing that he was about. And so I hold that up before us and I ask us, what is it that needs to change in order for that to be the primary thing in our lives? Because when we seek the kingdom, we'll find it. And this is how Jesus lived. This is how he practiced living a life before his father. I'm going to leave you with a few questions that I'm going to encourage you to take home and to wrestle with each day of the week. You can... Read this list. You can ask yourself these questions 10 times a day, once a day, whatever. But I want to challenge you to ask these questions to God as in the form of a prayer. Here they are. Father, I surrender. Will you begin to recalibrate in me today? Will you begin a recalibration in me today unlike I have known before? So, Father, I surrender you. Will you begin a recalibration in me today, unlike I have known before? Second question. Father, I surrender. Will you show me what my heart has, has a hold of that places a cap over your flow? Father, I surrender. Will you help me treasure Jesus and his kingdom more than anything else? And the fourth one. Father... I surrender. Will you fill me with your spirit and teach me to receive your love, your words, your direction, and your power for your kingdom?
You see, the thing that God has made right is that he sent his son. Because he so loved the world that he sent his son and he sent his son, he directed his son and he empowered his son to do all that he would have for him to do. The son sent the Holy Spirit, directs the Holy Spirit, as we see in John, and and empowers the Holy Spirit to do all that he has planned to do. And the Holy Spirit wants to move into our lives, direct us and empower us, instruct us in everything that he wants to do in our lives. Are we living to seek the kingdom of God above everything else? Because where we're not, something is missing the reality of the life that we're called to have. So my challenge to you this week is to put these, you can take a picture of the screen or whatever, but to put these questions before you and to come and imagine yourself as a little boy who is standing before the Lord and saying, speak, God, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And let the Lord do whatever work he wants to do to clean out the things in your heart that would hold back the goodness of who he is. You see, whatever God would be calling you to is a good thing because God is only good. He's as good as he is holy. So anything that God would want to do in you and that has plans to do in you is a good thing for you and for me. And it's a good thing for people around you. Because everywhere that you and I go, if we're a Christian, the kingdom of God has just arrived. In the supermarket, in the workplace, in your home. In your neighbor's porch, wherever you go, the kingdom of God has just come with you if you are going to seek the kingdom in that place. And I believe that the kingdom of God wants to invade relationships and invade your community and invade your workplace and invade your grocery store unlike it ever has before. But it requires us taking an honest self-assessment and saying, Lord, I want to be able to come before you and be your servant. And be ready to join you in whatever you want to do. Give me a hunger for your kingdom. Let's pray.